Ben, hello, welcome to the roadmap. Hey, thanks for having me, and um, yeah, grateful uh, to discuss a couple of different topics. Okay, so how are you? You're in Dubai right now. Uh, is it still hot? Is it getting colder? Yeah, now it's the best time, in fact. Um, I mean, um, four days uh, until Christmas, uh, blue skies outside, perfect temperature, like 25, 28 uh, throughout the day. Uh, in the evening, it's getting a bit chilly for us. It's like 22. I know for Europeans, that sounds silly, but uh, that's how we feel where you already need, might, might need to have a jacket or something. Um, yeah, but it's 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 great time. Yeah, so it's not not hot as as it is in the summer. No, definitely. So, so no, no. Now we're in, in in summer, not in the hell time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, today we're gonna cover uh, several topics. Uh, the main one is uh, outsourcing CDOs, outsourcing companies. Uh, so before we start, can you give a little bit about yourself, about your background, and just your experience? Yeah, sure. So um, I was born in Croatia, um, but then my, I spent my, the majority of my life in Germany, Hamburg, where I did uh, computer science studies. And I was always interested into tech since I'm a little kid. I had my uh, back then C64 and I started programming and, and, and developing things there. And um, yeah, so studied in, in Germany, in Hamburg. And um, after finish, finished my studies, I worked uh, throughout the, during the studies. I worked um, as a, um, uh, yes, as a um, developer where I, uh, I was building websites back in the days and simple applications. Um, and, um, uh, early days I started, um, working then with Java and uh, I got very interested into quality of code, uh, while I was studying, like, um, interested how code, um, how the life, lifespan of, of code is, especially in, in terms of test-driven design. And back then, um, we had not Jenkins Hudson was, was CI server executing all the tests and everything. And then um, when I started um, my career in a consulting business um, as a developer and then um, architect and project lead, and then also a uh, manager, uh, people manager at some point and delivery manager. Um, and um, throughout all these steps, um, the focus was always um, how can we build something which is easily to maintain and uh, very flexible to adopt to the market needs. Um, yeah, then in 2012 or 13, I had a chance uh, to come for a project to Abu Dhabi for the Ministry of, um, uh, for the Federal um, uh, Printing uh, of Germany and um, where we had faced similar issues where an application was uh, built um, to print passports. And then sometimes uh, the um, process got stuck. And um, that's when I also come uh, to visit uh, the beautiful part of this world. Um, I was a huge fan of uh, Peter Scholatour, a French-German journalist, was a Middle East expert. And I liked how we depicted uh, the region. And when I came to the region, I met so many amazing people and so many professionals that I decided I want to move here. Um, 2016, I moved here for another company. 
um, where I've been the delivery manager for the Middle East. And then later on, 2018, I created my own company um, where I deliver with my small team uh, um, successfully uh, projects to clients. Okay, so your experience is quite extensive. Um, but in the last couple of years, uh, you mentioned you started your own company. Uh, you have a role sometimes of a, a fractional CTO. We, it, it's not mentioned very much. So what's, what does a fractional CTO actually do? Yeah, I, I really like the word how you phrased it um, because often it is just um, referred as CDO. I would even uh, more refer to a tech advisor because a CDO usually is somebody who has a uh, big responsibility in terms of staff and then um, also budget, et cetera, et cetera, right? And um, you do need the capacity of, a, of the role of a CDO especially in startups or companies which are um, small, medium size, depending again on their, on their own backgrounds. So especially when you meet uh, founders who have uh, limited exposure to tech or tech knowledge, it is crucial to have somebody in the early stages to set the scene properly uh, for the future um, and to make also the right decisions at the right time uh, when it comes to building your own tech product, right? So, I mean, it's obviously important, um, very, very important um, to a tech uh, company. However, it might be also advised if you are not tech focused, but have a strong tech footprint in your deliveries. Okay, so, I mean, with your experience, you can help people that aren't familiar with technology just to set everything up and uh, just set everything, you know, to go to the right way. Uh, companies often outsource uh, CDOs or tech advisors because they need the expert help. They um, Tech advisors uh, enable bigger efficiency and just lower the cost of the whole development process. Yes. Yeah, so the thing is, um, so in, in my past, I, I have had like four, uh, four positions, I think like that, uh, where I would, um, help startups, um, with these, um, technical, um, decisions or the technical, um, setup of the environment of, um, choosing implementation, uh, partners of defining architectures, defining, uh, the structure. So, and then. What you have, you have various type of uh, participation models, right? So if it's a uh, startup, you can go in for sweat equity. Um, you can have uh, a part-time assignment, right? So um, you don't need a full-blown tech advisor slash CDO slash IT expert uh, to work um, 40 hours a week. And um, this is where um, it's crucial to have somebody who has the deep knowledge of understanding the full-scale platform, supporting the vision and the roadmap for the future, right? So here it's also important that at some point you will, um, first of all, you need to have the knowledge, right? So you need to uh, set uh, the base, you need to build your building blocks, define them, design them. You need to decide which are 
part of the MVP um, based again on the strategy. Do we build an MVP? Do we build a full blown uh, build a full blown product? How big is um, the investment? How is the cash flow? And how is the runway? And according to that, um, you can then again hire developers, outsource development, uh, development, um, make decisions of um, technical depth. You will. Um, you're willing to to purchase or to build up build, build on um because you know okay um giving the, the setting the the funding and the runway for instance and the target date of an mvp we need to compromise with having maybe a mobile application only on android or maybe using just uh flutter to have it for both versions but then have a single uh, code base which in the future, it might be a not so good choice because all the dependency you get from all the other frameworks, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, or just have a web-based um, MVP. And um, then uh, additional things comes to um, security, to um, CI/CD pipelines where where these things are properly put into production, then test coverage, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. You will have to compromise at some point on quality or process or on staff, on technology choices. And these decisions should be based on good knowledge and, and wisely chosen, right? That you say, okay, even though it's very expensive, for instance, but we know the future of our application is very based on, um, I don't know, um, logged in users, identified users. We want to have a IAM solution, which is a full blown solution at the moment. And then we rather compromise on the user experience or we compromise on the performance in the, in the beginning. And then we can scale out the performance later, right? And then you make this conscious choice. Okay, this is something where it will be expensive in the future to change, but it makes sense to start with this small expensive piece and then build um, technical depth around it a bit and then address this technical depth. And also the awareness of what does it mean to have technical depth and that you really need to, to address it. That's also very, very important because I've seen companies starting and then growing to a significant uh, size where they um, pay pass a couple of uh, um, serious a series and, and fundings and they and they acquire um, um, a, a good branding and then they struggle to keep up with all the technical depth because the scalability is not there right and that's that's crucial um, for any startup um, to set the foundation right so it's like when you build your house and in the future, you will need to have a basement, right? And then you don't start or don't build the basement. And then you can imagine how expensive it will get to build the basement after, or if you didn't isolate it properly, right? So you have an amazing, beautiful house with marble, with everything, everything. And then it's leaking full of water because there is no isolation. And then good luck uh, getting the isolation below the house. Yeah. Okay. So it seems from what you've said, you also need to have an ability just to transfer all of that to to a startup founder. You know the technical part, just as you described with the with the house example, because software is really complex, especially nowadays. So you need to really explain to the founder why why are doing this or that. 
Exactly. So this is, as you said it, I mean, the beauty of today's um, maturity of software building tools, building blocks is just amazing. So I always like um, to describe it as I'm a huge fan of pro code. I'm not a fan of no code or low code or whatever, because nowadays pro code is very, very easily written, you know? So if you look any, any kind of language, so that's that's language agnostic, to expose some kind of a service or to build something useful, you don't need any more 200, 500,000 uh, line, lines of codes. You need probably 10 lines of code, a couple of annotations, and that's it, you know? And then you have your, your secured uh, web service, I don't know, uh, providing temperature of your, of your office or whatever, right? So... And to have that in a very efficient way, you have to have experts knowing what they're doing, you know? And because of the, of, of, of the entire world moving into digitalization, there's a huge demand of professionals, but there's also a huge availability of unskilled and untrained people. So, and it applies to all industries. It's like when you have a plumber who doesn't know what he does, okay, he changes, uh, does it, the piping in your wall, and after two years it breaks, right? And then you have a huge issue fixing that. And the cost of occurring with that, you know, the damage you're doing is the same damage you can get within, within the IT. So imagine you have an amazing product, um, which is which contains sensitive data, and you're running five years or, or, or something, or three years, everything is amazing. And suddenly it's exposed by a very stupid uh, security risk, right? So, so and, and, and somebody exploits that and, and, and steals all the data or, or stuff, right? And this is, this is where you need to know or understand, okay, when do I invest in something and which parts are not crucial of my entire house so it doesn't collapse, right? Exactly. Okay, so as as we already mentioned, software uh, building a software product is really complex. Uh, but together with that come problems. Um, some of them are, you know, expectations versus reality. Um, let's say, you know, I I'm a startup founder. You might say, well, I want to have this app or software built in two months, but that's not realistic. It's gonna be it's gonna take maybe six months. And some other problems, such as, you know, if we speed things up, we're going to get technical debt. So what's that all about? Yeah, no, um, I mean, that, that's a real tough, tough one, because I have seen that also in my, my experience when I was um, talking with some founders or, or people would approach me and then um, say, okay, yeah, I would like to have this app built, you know, and then just, you know, like I, I, I can already size it ballpark right so i can size it okay it's maybe 100k it's maybe 250k or something that's just the intuitive without going into requirements and doing a proper refinement and, and then coming up uh, to a real number and then you have huge deviations there you know sometimes people approach me and i would size it at uh, 250 500k and then they tell me yeah i have a company i don't know adc they offered it for 5k or 10 and then you know okay that's that that's I mean the the ignorance on the on the on the company delivering it or 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 they must be so I don't know you know like like 
I mean, so unknowing of, of what's requested. So the gap of, of understanding and of understanding what's the definition of done here, right? So it's not, I always look at, I always say uh, my definition of done in detail is, is enterprise ready. So when I'm building something or with, with the vision of enterprise ready future, right? But some people is just, okay, it works on my machine and it's barely doing, doing what it needs to be done. And then it's like, like, um, founders, I mean, I can, I can imagine it's difficult to understand it that, you know, like as founder as you have, because you can't really compare it. So it's not, not easy to compare, um, because tech is perceived also as something very easy to build or it's simple or it's okay. It's just here, two, three buttons. How complex can it be? But then again, what's happening in the back end and what's what, what the, the, the total set of the application, there's uh, things that needs to be considered. However, you know, like um, for a startup, it doesn't have to be always full-blown enterprise ready. So also don't get me wrong here. So I don't want um, to have an application with code and handles, you know, so that's that's not, not, a, uh, not, not what we're talking about. It always comes back to what I initially said, you need to figure out, okay, this is my scope. This is the MVP I want to build, so I can get rid of some UX. I can rid of some features. Maybe you don't have an administration power. You hack in everything in your SQL in the backup or something as a startup starting point, you know. So, but you need to have on your roadmap when do you fix or address these topics. So today I make the conscious choice to put on this technical debt. So I need to have a pair for this on my roadmap, which addresses this technical debt in the future. It can have a condition. It can say, okay, if we raise found, uh, funding of X, Y, Z, then we do this, but it needs to be reflected there. And often these things are just forgotten. Okay. If you do this, okay, that's easy, 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 easy. Now people forget them, uh, lose them and, and that's it. Right. So this would never happen to a CFO, you know, like when you go to a bank and then you get a loan. And then, you know, okay, this, this is my payment schedule and the payment schedule needs to come to zero at some point. Right. And that's how a CFO looks like at that, not technical debt and the real debt. Right. So, and the same uh, way you should address uh, the technical debt. It, that, that also might be a slippery slope. I mean, if let's say again, I'm a, I'm a startup founder and I say, okay, I'm going to go for the cheaper option, but the cheaper option. In, in let's say in a few weeks proves to be a more expensive option because it's not it's not just uh, feasible to build such product in such short time and then I have to find somebody somebody else to do it. But what happens is I can't just continue pick everything up. I have to start building everything again from scratch. So that's 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 one of the biggest problems that happens when if you go for a cheaper option. I mean, that's, that's exactly why you need a technical advisor because he will prevent you of making this wrong decision because he will know we can't build an application for 5k or we can't build an application for 20k. We might build an application maybe for 50 instead of hundred, given these technical depths, which are fair in the beginning phase to turn down and, and to build this technical depth, right? And that's the importance where you need somebody knowing what he's doing to be part of your team and 
yeah, and 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 he will help uh, to get the right decision, to get the right amount done. But this is also something where you need to find somebody who you trust, right? So, and you also have to have, like, from a technical advisor perspective, you need to have also a board of startup people who are willing to listen to you. Um, advice, you know, like, so this is also sometimes uh, you will face it as an advisor that you know this is the right way and you want to, I mean, I mean, um, educate, but some people are just not able to, 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 to grasp this idea that, okay, how can it be that this guy offers me it so cheap and this guy is, is offering me it so expensive? Where's this gap coming from? And this gap is coming from a specification gap. So it's it's also of what is your, again, back to the definition of done, or what's what you have in your head. When is my work finished? And I have it with developers I've worked with. Some developers consider, okay, it's finished when I've written the last statement and it's done. So I have rejected it and yet I haven't tested it. I haven't uh, factored in from the QA um, all the bugs that will be coming. I haven't factored anything from the UAT all the bugs that will be coming in. And I haven't considered the deployment, the uh, smoke test, the full-blown test once it's in production, right? So and in, in these various steps, they are always factoring in elements of their own perception of the people uh, you're talking to, right? And the less knowledgeable these people are, the more prone they are also to the Dunning-Kruger effect, you know? So, I mean, um, you, will build, you will face people who are very, very confident and who lack of skill and knowledge about the topic they're talking about, and they still think, okay, I can make a, a, a big application, I can make it run, because they, also, they just don't know about all the pitfalls. Okay. All right, so um, many problems. Uh, some of them are app security and just code being intellectual property. A lot of founders aren't aware of that, that code is something that you can own. But, you know, when they outsource a company, it if they don't, let's say, sign a contract, it's the outsource company code. So, and there, you know, sometimes there are problems which emerge because founders don't know that fact. Yes. I mean, that's, that's also a, a good point. I mean, a, a couple of topics. Um, let's, let's dig in a little bit into uh, security, which I also initially um, just, just uh, mentioned that is um, quite crucial. Nowadays, um, you will build probably a, a, an application which is used by the majority of people around the world. And there will be different um, security layers and security role, user management. It's a it's a huge topic in the industry. I mean, that's that's something you need to be studied as well and have a lot of experience just to build and set up a proper IAM solution, right? So, and of course, you don't need to start um, as a startup company with it. And the beauty of nowadays, uh, nowadays availability of toolings, the open source world has plenty, plenty of, of solutions which are based uh, on a lot of people's work, 
of a lot of people's knowledge and a lot of time. So this is also something where I say you sh should focus as a startup uh, in the tech world very much on having a, a, a framework how you make make or buy decisions. So how you come to your make or buy decisions. Because you should, in the majority of, of, of cases, you should build what you are an expert in. Okay? So, okay, you're... Um, I don't know, tomorrow you're uh, building a, I don't know, real estate agency. So your, your, your specialization is in selling houses, getting contracts done or, or whatever, right? So, and that's the added value you will provide into the app. I don't know, make it super easy to, to, to do transactions, whatever, right? So it's not how to build, um, let's say, a IAM. It's not how to build a new framework for the UI, et cetera, et cetera, right? So you should make the decisions. You go out, you see, okay, I want to have this on a, on a, on a web-based um, page so I can choose off JavaScript frameworks, for instance, which are very popular, or mobile, you have these type of frameworks. In the backend, you have uh, frameworks, et cetera, et cetera. And here again, a technical advisor will guide you, okay, look, in terms of the security considerations, we need to be 100% sure that we have the today's standard how authentication works, right? So we have probably an OAuth server or IAM server, a open source product, probably as we are a startup. And then this tool covers all the questions you would have solutions for. What do I do? I forget a password. How do I uh, handle roles? How do I link it with other um, logins? You know, like today it's very popular. Login with Google, login with Facebook account, create an account with email, etc., etc. All this is already solved. And this is where a technical advisor comes in and helps you to make the right choice. Okay, guys, let's not venture into building something. There is a out-of-the-box I, uh, product. We have a free version. We have a free version with support. We have a big uh, product version. We can choose however our setup, funding, etc., etc. is right, and that's the part um, which is crucial uh, from a security perspective. And then, if you have your topolo topology set, then everything puts on top. Then you can secure your services. You can create users. You can create even proper role hierarchy, you know, like how people interact is something delegated. Do you have delegated permissions? Do you have rights, roles? Are these roles mapped to rights? Are they inherited or not? You know, and, and, and very, very complex models, which will then be needed in the future, which you can then apply. And as Anishin said, that's really like a, like a study for itself, you know, so it's, it's something very, very complex. X once it's on an enterprise level, but in a simple way, when you start, probably you have, I don't know, four or five roles like admin, super user, user, paid user, maybe, I don't know. And then they have a couple of, of items, you know, but once that grows and you can then easily grow when you select in the beginning the right product, because it might be that there's a product I know for sure it's free. You can take it out of the shelf and make it work for a solution for 10 people, but it will also work for a solution of four. 
Okay, so companies, uh, I mean, they have many problems when building a software product. Uh, one of them is deciding whether to go on a fixed price project or a timeline, a timeline project. Um, but they're not aware, you know, until you explain to them um, the scope of the project, what what is the best option. So the difficulty here in, in the pre-selection of the mode is trust. So if you go into a time and material project, you need to have some kind of a trust to the person, the team, or the external company delivering what you're asking for. Because if you don't have the trust, you want some kind of a contract, okay, this is the fixed price, what we want. And again, assigning a fixed price when you're not aware of everything which is tech-related, it's also very difficult because you won't be aware of, okay, this fixed price doesn't contain any unit tests, for instance, or as you mentioned before, intellectual property. So whose software is it? So what, do I own the software or am I just allowed to use the product and I don't use uh, own the source code? You know, like these type of, of questions uh, arise there and might be a, a big pitfall for the future as well, or for extended costs, because when you're in a fixed price project, the mode of operation has a huge overhead. So you will need to have uh, an legal to define all the details on, on, on both sides. You will need to have proper um, project management. You will need to have proper change management because for sure, uh, 99% uh, of what was defined in the contract is not what you want after uh, a certain stage of the software. And it's very, very um, common to have changes. And that also needs to be handled properly, you know? So, and then there again, okay, how do you understand then that once you're already on the journey, so you have completed 80% uh, of, of the product, and now you say, okay, I wanted a blue button, but I missed it. It needs to be red. Okay. And then the guy said, okay, you know, but the red button, that's the additional $10,000. So very, I mean, red is an expensive color. So we need to ship it from, from China. You know, I don't know. And you can't really match. Okay. I'm giving up this feature and I'm getting that feature. And the more you're dependent on the, 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 the product or the process is, is ongoing, the more likely is that somebody might take advantage of that and uh, try to upsell features or functions or all. Oh, but of course, I mean, you bought a car, you want tires. Uh, we didn't know, but in the contract, you see the car, there's no tires, but th th we didn't know that you want the car and then tires, that's absolutely mutual. And these type of uh, um, things you might face. As well, the difficulty is if you go in time and material and Hopefully then, therefore, um, in, an, in an agile mode, it's hard for um, non-tech people to understand the velocity. So is what is delivered within a sprint, is, is it something of a high-performance team or a low-performance team? So if the team takes two weeks and just delivers a hello world, how can I understand is that really what they meant to do and is it is it efficient? Do they know how is the code quality? How is the code base? Do they use clean code? 
Is it easy to refactor uh, code? Is it redundant code? Is it copied code 10 times over? Or is it proper modular? And, and all these items are very, very difficult from a person um, who has not been through his life uh, in the pain of, of, of these type of items to understand them, right? So, and therefore, again, coming back to what you correctly said, IT projects are really high complex projects. It's like flying an airplane. So I would never like to have a taxi driver fly me from here to Dubai uh, to Croatia. So I would really like to have a trained pilot doing so and worth the money and it's very good invested. And even though probably 90% of the time he flies, it's autopilot and, 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 um, I don't know even if they, they meant, uh, automatically or almost, and it's, it's very easy, you know, but once you face a storm or something unexpected happens, then you see, uh, the, the quality of the pilot as well as to see the quality of an engineer. I mean, this is something, um, which I experience um, heavily also here in, in the Middle East is a bit lower awareness than in Europe of quality and how quality over a longer period is a very well invested piece of money, effort, uh, funding, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And this is, this is when it comes or where I can see it's really difficult for people to make that uh, decision correctly. Okay, so everything really needs to be precisely defined uh, when when you're starting a project. But what many founders don't understand, they think, you know, okay, the product is done, we have the code, we have everything, everything's built, designed, and that's it. But that's not actually it. Uh, what happens is your app has a life cycle, and there are many elements of of that scalability, maintenance, and many others. So, could you just elaborate elaborate on that um, about app life cycles? You know, why are they important? Absolutely. So, this is also one of my favorite topics. You know, so because if you go into a shop and you buy a suit, you don't go on and put that suit in the washing machine, right? So, it needs to go to a dry cleaning facility, and there are certain amounts of maintenance related to a certain amount of code quality etc etc and in the terms of a application life cycle the development is the, the neglectable part of, of it so you don't i mean i don't want to be harsh i'm also a developer by heart but what was developed it's not important it's very 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 unlikely that anybody of the audience knows what amazon built on is it built on Java? Is it built on Python? Is it built on .NET? Wasn't development time a month, a year, 10 years? Nobody knows and nobody cares. What they care is that if you go onto Amazon, you click on buy, that the thing is delivered to you tomorrow and that you have a nice history written, that you're well informed. And then if something odd happens, that you can easily fix the issue with Amazon, it's an um, order, if you have a banking transaction, if something is stuck, you know, like, I mean, you would like that you can just revoke or whatever, you know, like all these type of things come into play in operation. So the application lifecycle or the majority 
the application will be is in operational mode, not in the development mode. And to be this operational mode, to have a very smooth journey throughout its lifespan, that's the thing that you need to focus. And that's the thing, again, when we come into this planning and the roadmap, what I initially mentioned is that you need to address that at some point. So building some kind of technical depth, knowing what is the vision for the future and having also a flexible architecture that makes you able to divert from your initial roadmap in the in in, in the benefit of a, of a, of a stable uh, platform and a stable operation. And having um, also a very smooth and low cost operation. So meaning if you want to add a new feature that you don't need to plan it for a year, that it can be deployed within short amount of time, ideally instantly, it's fully tested, fully covered, the CI/CD pipeline just puts it into place. It's um, containerized, it's a microservice, so it can just pop up in your UI, there's a new feature, it's not uh, destroying other elements of the of the UI or processes, et cetera, et cetera, right? So this is the ideal world where you have that and you don't need to say, okay, we need to plan a release. There is a crucial uh, fix. We can't do it. The customers need to go through pain for the next three months because the application is so built that we can release only quarterly or whatever, et cetera, et cetera, right? And you also don't want that you have to have uh, 10 million of people of stuff to keep the operations running, right? Because it's so unstable that the cost uh, of operating it, um, manpower or CPU power or uh, infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera, what's, what's needed, right? So these are crucial elements of a long-term vision how a piece of software should run and should be always considered while you're thinking so a really simple example might be we all have phones and, you know, when we're updating our mobile apps, there are always, you know, uh, feature tweaks, uh, you have, you know, to tweak your features, uh, solve bugs and everything else. So it might not, you know, it's something like a never ending story. Actually, you always have to take care about your software product. It doesn't end when it's built. Exactly. So also like what I mentioned initially, you know, like when you, when you select, for instance, as you mentioned, mobile apps and you think about, okay, we might go for a single code base like Flutter, uh, or, or, uh, react native or something, right? So where you build one code and it works for two platforms. And with this decision, you inherited the huge dependency of frameworks and also, um, legal terms for, from each platform, right? So because you're not native, so tomorrow, um, Apple or Android might, um, decide, um, the library X, Y, Z you're using not supported anymore by our platform. And you have no, um, power to make the library to upgrade to its new things or whatever. So it might be deprecated. It might be not any, uh, any more well-maintained. Then you need to find a solution. What do you do then? You know, so, and then, then it comes to this problem that suddenly you thought, okay, I had one code base. I had just to write one, one line of code. So it will be deployed on both platforms. And now you have a huge amount of work to replace this library to maybe rewrite it. Maybe it's open source. You can contribute. Maybe it's not, you need to reverse engineer it. 
or you need to, to, to take functions out of it. I have also seen projects with so many, I mean, huge amount of libraries um, used and then they use just one function of this library, one function of that, you know, never um, thought about, does it make sense to take this library into our ecosystem just because of this one function, you know, like, I don't know, uh, a string beautifier. I don't know, you know, like, 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 like that might be a very, very simple thing. And then later, uh, you need to uh, refactor and, and put that out, you know? So, and again, here comes the technical depth question, you know, like, okay, are we willing in the beginning to go for a, a single code base solution and then split it later, but it should be on the roadmap and, and clear understanding of the dependencies how many libraries are we depending on, et cetera, et cetera. And all of them, they need to be updated. You know, like, I mean, I can just uh, uh, remind everybody from this year, last year's Log4j uh, issue, which was uh, in the Java world, um, a, a huge, huge issue where people needed to immediately update their systems and some very monolithic build uh, applications needed to be taken down or the release would have been after two or three months and and, and they uh, pose a very, very high security risk there. So this is something which comes back to the operation and the smoothness of a solid build application, which can be then uh, deployed or upgraded within minutes. Yeah. So always take care of, of your software because it's going to take care after you. Okay. So, uh, we covered many topics today, uh, many problems uh, founders have when, when building software. What would be your closing thoughts regarding everything we discussed today? Yeah, so my, my closing thoughts would be, I mean, don't over-engineer, you know, so it's also on that side, you know, like, I mean, um, you, 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 it sounds maybe the risks I was, I was um, showing today uh, a, a bit massive. So don't be overwhelmed by that. I mean, still, as I initially said, if you have a very good trained uh, tech team, they can build amazing, amazing things in very, very short time, you know? So this is also something where sometimes, okay, I'm untrained and I think I need to build a uh, function for 10 days, but in fact, you can build it in a couple of hours, you know, when you have the expert and it might be a hourly wise more expensive, but the time he needs is 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 uh, way less. So I would encourage everybody to go on a journey. So this is this is really something um, building, making the world a better place with the ideas. So it's with the, the um, low footprint of creating a startup. You know, with all the cloud technology that's all around you, you just need a fraction of investment to uh, change the world. So I would encourage everybody to to go go for it. Um, if you don't know some some CDO in your in your network or whatever, I don't know. Um, I would even even uh, go probably on LinkedIn, find a random CDO from a company and ask him, okay, I need help. Uh, he would probably answer. You know, you might not even think about it that even a crazy uh, uh, request like that. Okay, I need a technical advice. How can I start my 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 company or whatever? You know, he might just refer you to somebody or or, or um, give you give you an advice. So definitely go for it. And be and keep in mind about the part of quality, especially in, in complex systems, in, in, in software, in I don't know, um, airspace industry. You know, when you when you're shooting a rocket, um, you need to make everything right to reach your target, and um, it is it's hard, 
but it's fun and it's rewarding when you see a complex application running like a clockwork. So this is something that uh, the applications I have built um, made me really every day very happy when I see an application I deployed 2019. It had uh, over the time, I don't know, uh, two, three thousand uh, deployments and not one rollback. 100% stable and a very, very happy client where they, they, they say, wow, it's, it's just, just amazing. And that's the reward you get. Yeah. So actually don't rush things and be really careful because as, as we already mentioned, a cheaper option might be a costlier option in the end. Exactly. There's a saying, I'm not rich enough to buy cheap. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ben, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for clearing some things up. Uh, they're probably uh, difficult to understand. Uh, and I, I hope to see you again on the show. And yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And, and it was a pleasure. Have see you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye-bye.